and welcome. You are listening to Cosmic Children.、Um, we are live from Tora Moonstone currently, and we have a guest. We have who a guest. I've been struggling to 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 actually write an introduction for. So, Len, would you please introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me.、Um, I I'm a Singaporean girl、okay. who lives in Pongol. Okay.、Uh, but recently relocated to New York、mm. to pursue my、uh, photography career. I shoot a lot of fashion. I do a lot of commercial shoots.、Um, nowadays, I'm doing more celebrity shoots as well, and that's about it. Cool. That's about it. That's about it. Like, I don't think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so,、um, you, I find you very intriguing and very fascinating because、um, a lot of the shoots that you have done, it's it has a certain quality to it, and I can't really place my finger on it, finger on it. So.、Um, I would like to bring up a couple of the projects you did recently.、Uh, let's start with initial wedding. So, how did that come about? What's the inception of that piece? Could you just walk us through for 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 people who have never heard of you, never heard of your your work before? Could you tell us what that is about? So, basically, an issue wedding was.、Um, so, I'm I'm a I'm a bisexual queer girl. Yes.、Um, and I I was raised in a very very strict Catholic family、uh, where. You know, it's very patriarchal and it's very heteronormative. Yeah. So、um, when I was in New York, like people started debating about the three seven seven eight, the possibility of repealing three seven seven eight in Singapore. Yes. And living in a country where you know LGBTQ rights are the norm,、mm. it felt very、uh, straightforward to me. Like, of course, people are just gonna repeal it. Like, what, what year is it? And I, I think I was really shocked to find out like how many people are still against it in Singapore. How many people are actually my age?、Yeah. People I know who are still very, very much against it. I wrote a piece like supporting L-、uh, LGBTQ rights on my Instagram stories. <laughs> Sorry, I I just laughed at how ridiculous this is. <laughs> I wrote a piece, a political piece about rights on my Instagram stories,、yeah. and people were like、uh, replying to me, like saying things like, you know, if homosexual, if 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 gay people are allowed to live in Singapore, we'll all get AIDS and die, and that's not an exaggeration. Yeah,、like、someone actually yeah, said that, that to, to me. Yeah, wow. And I was shocked, and I was like, wow, you mean there are people who are still like that? Like, yeah. Anyway,、um, so while I was thinking about all this, I think what made me the most sad is like this is this is my fantasy dream wedding、mm. that I can never have. So basically, what I did was I staged a shoot in Singapore、um, featuring a lot of volunteers. Yes.、Um, where basically it was two two girls getting married, and that was it. And I referenced、um, my parents and my family's wedding photos oh, from the seventies and eighties. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of it that was like extreme sadness at how normal. This dream of mine is like it's not a big deal. Like it's just two people getting married in the traditional Chinese wedding style because I'm Chinese, right?、Yeah. And but it's so impossible. It's so impossible because of Singapore. It's so impossible because of my family background. Yeah. And so like、uh, this this dream was like fantasy fulfillment, I guess.、Mm. So just going back for a little bit, it's two two women getting married in the in the setting of like a restaurant. Yeah. yeah. So basically, what I did was, like I said, you know, because I referenced my family's wedding photos, so it's like very retro. It's very glitzy. It's very dreamy. Yeah.、Um, it was set in a Chinese restaurant, like banquet style. Yeah.、Um, and then it's、uh, I casted two queer actresses actually. Yeah.、Um, to to stage getting married,、um, and it's a it's essentially a fashion shoot.、Mm. Like the the girl the bridesmaids are wearing Prada. Yeah. But、wow. 
but um, a lot of it was actual vintage pieces. And we had, because we had so many fake wedding guests, yeah. um, the shoot was like a real wedding. Yeah. Like how I got most of the shots was literally like being like wedding photographer style and being like, okay, everyone, uh, now you must say yam sing. Okay, one, two, three. Yeah. And then everyone just like went for it. Yeah. And that's how we got all the shots. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So it was, it was like I had a wedding. We had a wedding. Yeah. We had a wedding for, an, for a political idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was, was uh, when when you were coming off the concept? Was that like a narrative that you wanted to hit through certain pictures or? Yeah. So actually, um, this this is something I also post about a lot on my Instagram stories. Your your um, your Instagram is pretty interesting. Yeah, I have nice. to say, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I I always draw stick figures before yeah. I do any shoot. I saw. They are. Yeah. I have two great artists standing before me, <laughs> and, they've, and they've seen my shitty stick figures. This is a moment of real shame and pride. Yeah, I saw but, the one you did for Ise actually. No, some of the best things. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so so basically like uh this this particular wedding i actually like traced pictures from my family from my family's wedding is it like a one-for-one copy to a certain degree i copied the poses and the and the kind of composition that they go for and like the lighting and everything was like all captured in camera like it wasn't like edited to look retro yeah right right yeah so it it was it was uh it actually explains a lot of the it felt alive to a certain degree yeah i I was reading through the article uh I believe you shared, uh, I forgot what's the website, but I was reading through the words and everything. I think it was moving. It was really, really moving and couple of the pictures and the words that the writer wrote to it, it's it's a compelling case, like whatever you just said. Yeah. Thank you. So um, it was actually, okay, so I came out with the idea when I was in New York. Yeah. Um, me and my agency, like we pitched it to a whole bunch of magazines like Team Vogue, blah, blah, yes. blah. No one was interested because I don't think anyone is interested about LGBTQ rights in Singapore. It, mm. it, we're not stoning anyone to death, you know, like it's just not not that critical. So right. no one really thinks about it. Um, so I really wanted to do the story because I thought it was timely and it was important. Yes. And also it's a cool idea. So what you read might have been from Issue magazine. Yes. Which is a new magazine that um, two of my friends, um, Gordon and Mickey, mm. like they, are, they have started. It's an intellectual fashion magazine that's entirely online. So um, that was actually the first editorial story they ever did. Wow. And it was really in many ways like I was just borrowing their ma- their new magazine name yeah. as a way of as getting, a platform as a as a platform to get like you know Prada yeah and like all these high fashion clothes and all the brands that supported us yeah so very very manipulative it's cool yeah no, that's uh, cool yeah I think that's an important trait to be honest resourceful resourceful is the way. resourceful <laughs> sorry yes <laughs> so um you 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 were talking about intellectual fashion could you explain a little bit of what that means. I think, you know, to a lot of people, like, um, fashion is very superficial and understandably so. Yeah. And also, I, I used to, I actually got my start as a photographer at the Straits Times yes. as a photojournalist. So I was questioned a lot as a young intern. Why are you into fashion? Isn't it so superficial? Look yeah. at what, like, look at what we're shooting. Isn't that so much more important? And I think in many ways, like, they are right. And it was a real struggle to come to terms with, like, I like, I like superficial things or I like intellectual things. Um, but at the end of the day, like now, now after like I've been shooting for like eight or nine years, after this time, I've I've come to learn that like you know what actually no, there is a very smart side to fashion that mm-hmm. is not um common commonly discussed. For example, you know there are designers like Prada, yeah, uh, like Musha Prada. She is she's a rare designer because she she is a I think she's a third generation designer within the her her family, the Prada mm-hmm. family. Usually designers are like hired or like you know um some, outsourced. Not outsourced, but almost like appointed, and gotcha. they're not like from the family. Mm. So she she's extra interesting because she she's both like uh, legacy, but also 
like an intellectual. I, I believe she studied something like law or politics. So she studied something smart, <laughs> and then and then she went to do fashion. But because of that, like the ideas that she explores in the, her clothing, yeah. and um, in the in the stuff that she makes, you know, she designs both Prada and Miu Miu, and they are both like smart brands for like smart women. Yes, it looks nice. Yes, it's luxurious. Yes, it's well made. All these things are still important, but so much more of it is is well thought out or reflecting a certain aspect of life mm. or inspired by some like tr- universal truth it's like how you know sometimes really good art are the ones okay I'll give you an example like Get Out Get Out is such by Jordan a, Pugh yeah. yeah Get Out is such a great film because it is both a parallel it's a parallel for, for civil rights in America yeah. while while while, um, this, while presented in the form of like digestible consumable pop culture yeah. that anyone can understand to me that is good art and okay. that's also kind of what I strive for in a lot of what I do so I think fashion my interest in fashion along with, along with my using my interest in fashion and fashion photography to present like all these ideas I think about is kind of a challenge but mm. it's also what I think makes it more interesting interesting so how was the response um, after you, you shot the pictures it's a wrap you issue Mac posted article it was everything was online so how was the response from uh, your, your fans on Instagram the, the people around you yeah I wouldn't call anyone that follows me on Instagram fans okay uh, <laughs> so, so, so that happened to follow me on Instagram okay. uh, like, liked it a lot yeah. thankfully um, we, we were really full on expecting backlash we, I mean mm. Singapore is a, yes. is, a, is a Christian state I mean dare I say it I quote unquote it. yeah uh, anyway so yeah we were terrified like we were so sure that people were gonna get us they got the pitchforks and yeah yeah but no the responses were amazing people were crying a lot of people were sharing their stories over yeah. DM about why this story moved them yeah people were, I mean as recently as I think last week or two weeks ago someone shared it on Reddit again okay wow. yeah so I think like the emotional response has been incredible and that's because the story it's not about how nice it looks mm. it's just because it reflects some fundamental truth that people can relate to mm. but that is really important isn't it yeah you know that with everything you do, there is some sort of weight to it. Have you always been in the in this same vein of things, or did you grow into this particular uh, mindset to to be more conscious? I think I, I feel. Man, I I always say I feel like prior to like the age of maybe like twenty, I felt like I was sleepwalking through life. What do you mean? By I was that? like brain dead or something. I wasn't. A con- I wasn't thinking. Like <laughs> that's really how it feels. Like mm. even that Straits Times job I mentioned, yeah. I nearly got fired three times. Like I was a terrible. I had no work ethic. Yeah. I was not thinking deeply or critically in yeah. any way. Okay. I'm not too sure what the turning point was, but um, maybe it's the traveling. Traveling. Okay. Maybe it's all. I do. I do a lot of part-time jobs to supplement my photography income. Yes. You know, because otherwise, how can you live as a creative in Singapore? Yeah. But um, yeah, like some of these jobs, like some of the bosses or people I've worked with has, has forced me to like critically relook at not just myself, but mm. also my work ethic, my email etiquette and like all these things that seem so, yeah, all these things that seem so yeah. mundane, <laughs> but like seriously have thoroughly changed my life. Yeah. You know? I, I know uh, this is not what you were expecting from this interview, but here we are, email etiquette. <laughs> no, but that's, that's jokes, important. Jokes. Like, <laughs> that's, that's, I think it's important to know that. Was there any, anything that, someone said to you that particularly so I, I think this one boss I had like when I was doing PR like she was really hard on me of yes of all things email ticket mm. uh, but she she also bought me she forced me to do things like time how long it took for me to complete a task with a oh. timer 
Um, okay. And when I when she asked me like what are you gonna do for the day, like she she would say like I, I would say like oh I'm gonna write this this press release and this and that, and she would be like write it down, write everything you're gonna do today down, and then time how long it took, mm. and then see if you can complete the task that you thought you were gonna do today. Okay. So a lot of times people, um, and I think this is actually related to being a creative. I think people underestimate how much like actual like work goes into it, like how much. Um, is productivity and time organization. A lot of times we look at we look at a day and we think we're gonna do five things, but the reality is we only have time to do like two or three, or even one and a half. Yeah, or one. Yeah. yeah, and her her forcing me to like look at it like in such like technical and like scrutiny. Yeah, it was such scrutiny made me conscious of how my time was being spent and what I was doing. And even things like writing an email or a press release, she would force me to cancel out words that meant nothing. So it forces, even though it's written down, mm. even though it's something so technical, I think what it did was that it forced you to really critically look at everything you were saying or thinking or writing. And anything that was redundant is like empty calories and therefore useless. And mm. I found myself applying these thoughts to my work, like mm. my photography. Like, is this necessary? Does this need to be shown or said? Is there a point in adding this or is it just like, you know, um, junk food? Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. This is to find yourself like how when you when you're shooting your photographs or at least when you're planning for it. Do is there like a particular structure? Do you still follow that structure, or is it more of like an intuitive sort of thing? So I think a lot of my work um, is inspired by things I read or see or like real life uh, stuff. I, I guess there is some there is some heavy like social political context to it nowadays. Gotcha. So what I do is um, the first step is always research. I, I will see like what other people have done about the same subject and then I will try and find out more about the history of the subject, watch documentaries, read up, uh, read news articles, etc. Then the next step is usually like um, sketching it out and planning or seeing what elements I want to adapt into the shoot. Yeah. And then after that, um, it's finding the right team, l- figuring out how to get across the idea to them in a succinct way. So in some ways, it's like I take this insane amount of information, I digest it yeah. and then I feed it to everyone like they're a baby bird. And then, <laughs> could you paint a clearer picture of that? Yeah, do you have an I example? I would chew up the food yeah. and then I'll spit it into their mouth okay. and force them to swallow it. Do they usually swallow? Um, not. I mean, so then it's also finding teams that are. I mean, of course, the what, what you want, what you really want, is someone who can look at your idea and elevate it. Mm. So, but of course, like you can't expect everyone to put in the kind of like research effort I put into my my work. So, so I've learned that the best way is I I do the best I can. Yeah, I share with them the most crucial and most important information they need to know. If they can add to it, great. If not, at least we have some kind of backup of an idea that still like ensures some sort of like cohesive story or cohesive yeah. look. Yeah. And then after that, it's like actually the actual production, which is like making the shoot happen. And then um, the shoot is like the shortest part of this entire process. Okay. And then it's post production, like, yeah. and then I retouch the photos like very lightly. Yeah. And then I I send it out to the world. How how do do give me an example? How how long would something like that take? Like a project. Um, it can be anything from like literally two days to two two weeks. I I okay. rarely ever get to do shoots that like give you more than two weeks to plan. I mm. think that's just the nature of the, the the craft, I guess. Yeah, but sometimes it's as short as like one day or two days. It's like a magazine tells you like we're gonna shoot so and so tomorrow. Yes. And then you 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 know you have to be ready. You have to be ready, but also you don't want to just make it just another shoot, right? So the challenge is at making it better than. Making it the best it can be in the given circumstance, even if it's like no time. Interesting. Do you find then that because you want to put in more to your your photographs and your shoots that 
you end up like containing a, a like this wealth of information that you just want to always put out there and then do you do you re, do you do that do you reapply that to like all your shoots where you have it in your head before yeah i mean re- i think that's where the sketches come from too i find i find that shoots where i don't sketch like i really don't do as well mm. it's oh, just not as good it's just not as good like if i if but if i can see it in my head clearly even if i veer off and i do something that's not on my board it's better because it's been thought out mm. like to the to the nth degree, but also like what you said about like the whole wealth of information thing. Like I actually I actually studied mass communication, which is kind of like journalism, right? So yeah. I think a lot of it comes from that too. When when you said well, is it by an internal metric or is it just by, by the response you get? You said that the, the well, uh, how well pictured does is it an internal metric or is I, it? I think now there is a way for me to roughly gauge like what what people react to well. Interesting. There is the industry response, which is from you know magazine editors or yes. like potential clients, yes. and then there is the likes on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, which is also very subjective because I've noticed that like if I shoot things that are Asian or relatable to Singaporean audiences, it does instantly a million times better. Oh. Than if I shoot like for instance a big Hollywood star, mm. they they they're just like oh cool it's a shoot versus like. Oh wow! I never saw Singapore in this. Is there something relatable to, exactly. to Singaporeans? Yeah, and then also there's the DMs. You can always tell if something hits someone, they tend to want to tell you about it. Mm. So that's also another measure I have. Sometimes also like randomly, if you see your stuff being shared on the internet, that's how you know, like you no know, Tumblr or like Pinterest, things like that. Have you ever experienced that? Was it a trip having your, your stuff being shared around like that? I think it's always complex because it's like, this is very flattering and I'm so happy you're sharing my work, but couldn't you have asked me for permission? That credits, right? Accreditation, (laughs) yeah. yeah. So like, for for example, I did a shoot about Logomania where we painted logos on the model's face. Okay. And uh, Hype Hype Bay shared it on their Instagram. Like the offshoot of Hype Beast, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they they shared it twice and it got something, it got a lot of likes, like a lot. Yeah. They never once asked me for permission. Mm. At least they bothered to credit me, but that's the only reason why I knew so it's right, also yeah. a bit annoying when it's a when it's a publication as big as Hype Bay. Yes, it's a professional company. Yeah, everything. Yeah, like, that. like if, if anyone could afford to like ask me for permission, it's definitely you. You know. Yeah. yeah. But they are also the ones that feel the most entitled because they know that you benefit from. That's interesting. So it's a it's a very strict it's a very uh, uncomfortable dynamic when it comes to image sharing on the internet in general. Yeah, is it something you have to maneuver uh, through as a as a photographer? I think now more than ever, yeah, because photographers operate so much, almost solely on Instagram now. So mm. like image theft is normal, but also is it theft? You know, like, and I think the most flattering instance of this ever was when someone on Taobao uh-huh. stole a picture of my, of me, of, of some glasses I shot and then used as as an example of how the glasses was used <laughs> on, on, on China Taobao on the page. I was so happy yeah. and they even credited me. Okay. This, I was just blown. I was just like, wow, like this, this is the biggest compliment I've ever received. Yeah, yeah. Someone, a seller on Taobao shared my image yeah. and credited me. Yeah. Damn. Yes, this is the kind of, this is the kind of uh, 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 highlights I look for in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a bucket list, Taobao. Taobao, yeah. Taobao. When your shit gets pirated, that's how you know it's good, man. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you mentioned something about like industry and then likes on Instagram. Do you find that there is any sort of disparity between the opinions that are shared? Like, does it always correlate or, you know, does it not? 
I think definitely like when it comes to industry insiders, so-called insiders or like professionals, they're looking for very different things. Yeah. A lot of times they're looking at you while thinking about how can this person do work for me in the future? Or mm. how, does, how does this person fit into, in the context of what I work in on my brand or, or my publication? So they're looking out for very different things. Like they might be looking for, do you have an individualistic style yet? Do you have a voice? Is it, or like, how's your lighting technique? Mm. How's your retouching ability? Does mm. it look better printed or on screen? Mm. Whereas like, you know, of course a layman is just going to look up, look at how it affects them. How mm. does it make me feel? Mm. Do I think it's nice? Mm. That, do I remember it? Oh, wow. That is quite. So, um, going back to a couple of products I really like from you. Um, one of them, which I got introduced to you in the first place was uh, Salvation Made Simple. I found it to be really interesting. I remember the first conversation I had with you. I think uh, you rocked up to the studio, introduced by Dion, and I think one of the first uh, sentences you said, like when, when, when we met was, uh, how do you feel about cults? Or something to the effect of, would you like to start a cult? And that has always um, stood out in my mind because I found it to be so interesting. So could you just talk a little bit about Salvation Made Simple and how did that come about? Uh, what is it to, to people who have never heard of it? Oh my god, I'm so obsessed with cults. Like, I, um, <laughs> I have one to share with you later, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I actually find that a lot of the shoots I do with a lot of girls, mm. whether I intend for it to, to do so or not, it looks a bit like cult imagery. What? Okay. All, all these girls in one colour standing in a line or like standing mm. in a way that's like very like forced. Like, it, it's, it's kind of magical to a certain degree, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, depending on how you look at it, magic <laughs> or like religion. Or but cult, anyway. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Salvation Made Simple uh, was a fictional religion that I created for an art installation. Yeah. Uh, basically, the idea was that, because okay, I'm very interested in colonialism and how it's affected Singapore and how no one seems to care. What do you mean by colonialism? Like, um, because Singapore has been colonized, mm. but um, young Singaporeans, Singaporeans in general don't seem to and really care that we were once a colony. The of way, the British. Yes. The way that other peop- other, uh, many other nations are outraged. Mm. By, by, by being colonized. We seem okay. really chill about it. We're like, yeah, you know, we speak English. We speak, yeah. we, we speak the Queen's English. Yeah, you know? yeah. like, we're kind of proud about it. Yeah. Um, prior to leaving Singapore, I never thought it was a problem. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, we speak English. You know, yeah. we're cool Asians. Yeah, we're cool um, Asians. <laughs> yeah, but, when I, but I went, when I went to America, I started to see and realize like, oh my God, like we are like fake white people in Singapore. Mm. We are very whitewashed. Uh, we, we, we have a very strong culture, but we're unable to pinpoint it and we are very attracted to American culture, British culture. Like in some ways, we are still colonized in, in the mind. Like we're yeah. neo, it's like in the neo, mind, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's like neo-colonialism, you know? Like we see ourselves almost like the characters that we see on the media we consume, which mm. is all like white. Yeah. So um, basically, like for Salvation Made Simple, I created... Um, the idea is that Singapore used to worship the sea goddess. Fictional. Fictional sea god, but based on based on real historical stuff I found yeah. um, that was widely worshipped in Singapore and was forgotten because of colonialism. Because everyone, um, because you know, co- what colonial, what white culture does is, is that it implies that anything that is not white mm. is more less real. If you worship an animal, which is like, the, I mean, the truth is Southeast Asia used to worship animism, which is like, you know, this animal represents luck, this yes. animal yes. represents protection, yes. and you kind of worship it or whatever. Um, then you are a savage. Like, how? Mm. Why are you so stupid? How can you think that animals like can do this or that? Yeah. Like you're you're obviously uncivilized. 
However, you know, like when you take a white belief, like, oh, you know, we believe that this guy rose from the dead and like he can make water into wine and he Talk can multiply. a very specific person, are you? No, I mean, Christianity in general, yeah. like I, I feel like it has a very big influence in Singapore. Mm. And also because I grew up Catholic. So that is my point of reference. Yes. Uh, I'm not saying if it's, I'm not saying that Christianity is not real. I mean, it's very subjective. My mom, if she hears this, I am dead. I'm going to be exercised tomorrow. Okay. But, um, Can we attend? Yeah. Take, take photos? Come, come, come. Come one, come all. Um, so, so um, yeah, basically, like the idea was that col- colonialism happened in Singapore and everyone started converting into Christianity and mm. therefore forgot about this sea goddess. Yeah. So I made, I made all this, I made, a, I made a fake temple for this goddess. And the premise of it was that, you know, you got to make goddess great again. Mm. We need to make her relevant again. Yeah. And to that end, we're going to try and get her as many like followers as possible, regardless mm. of the means. Yeah. So the temple was very, very millennial and it was completely targeted at young people. Yeah. And it was also very centered around instant gratification, which is a huge theme in religion nowadays in a bid to try and get more young people to come. Yeah. So we had the two vending machines that sold religious items. Yeah. And the idea is like, all you have to do is I like, buy it from the vending machine. You're instantly blessed. Yeah. You're instantly going to find love. You're instantly going to do this or that. And also the goddess itself, like we made an insane amount of fake media. Mm-hmm. We created a whole TV channel inspired by Scientology. Mm. Uh, we, had a, <laughs> we had a fake movie. Uh, we had a fake movie that was targeted at like secular. Like, okay, so we had this movie that was um, meant to be like some kind of like, you know how a lot of religions create commission media or material or films or books that are targeted at people outside their religion yeah. posing as popular culture but it's actually like serving a religious purpose yeah. so our version of that directed by Aidan Kinderman is a it's a dog that borrows money to help its family out but is now being chased by loan sharks so this dog goes to the ocean and pay, uh, prays to the sea goddess and is saved Yeah, and it's an action film so, oh. And if you watch the trailer, you can see the dog punch the loan shark. Okay. It's a work of art. Wow. Yeah. yeah so, so anyway, we made all this like really ridiculous um, media that was meant to be like suspension of belief. I made, yeah. I made like fake, a fake, you know, like on YouTube, they always have the now this. No. So like, it's like those videos that go viral about like, you know, now this is, it's like snippets of news disguised as like very, very like digestible media. That it's like is like one, one minute, two minutes. Um, yeah yeah it's yeah. like 30 seconds and then oh. like there's the same footage looping and looping and then there's giant text on it mm. summarizing like clickbaity stuff yeah. so I made one of those called Now That instead of Now This yeah. and it was about how all these like young Singaporeans are worshipping this um, ancient sea goddess by Sentosa and they're also eco-friendly yeah. and um, they're getting all the buzzwords basically yeah and they were, they were like throwing crowns into the sea but reeling it back with a string so that it's eco-friendly and they don't pollute the ocean yeah. and so like it was all these like ridiculous media but I think what was the most amazing thing about the, the installation was that we went so far that most people who came thought this was a real religion that I was making fun of and they actually asked me like how does the religion feel about you doing this <laughs> like like, like is it don't you don't you think it's offensive and I was like guys this this isn't real <laughs> this is completely fictional I made this all up and they're like oh not matzu man this one you know what is matzu matzu is this like uh, Buddhist is it Taoist Taoist or Buddhist god, sea goddess yeah so right. I, it wasn't based on her but I like I, I actually did hit, um I did okay. I did a lot of research. I found this book um, by Wang, Wang Dayuan, who is this like 13th century scholar from China, who's yeah. a eunuch, I think. Yeah. Came to Singapore in the 13th century. Recorded this. Um, his observations of Singapore included that the natives used to worship. 
we used, we we had some kind of native religion, yeah. And everyone wore this uniform, and there's also like a there was a chief of the nation, like the chief of Singapore, yeah. Which was then you know Tamasing and also a pirate port. Yes. He 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 used to wear this crown mm-hmm. that were that would signify the start of a new year, and it was a whole ritual, and it was very religious. So that's interesting. Yeah, and and obviously there's no rec- there's no proper record of this beyond that so a lot of what I created was based on that yes and also what's so interesting is like the legend of Sang Nila Utama when he came to Singapore supposedly he threw a crown into the sea mm. and that crown um, okay so okay so the story <laughs> the story sorry this is so long could the you story, speak a bit closer to the mic the story goes the story goes that he came to Singapore and then he there was a giant storm and he couldn't enter Singapore. Yeah. So he threw the crown on his head into the sea and calmed the sea and therefore was able to enter Tamasik. The purpose of this story is not about his powers. The purpose of this story is to convince the natives of Singapore mm-hmm. that he is the person that wore the crown that you worship. So the power is in the crown? The, yes. The object? Because they're used to... Yeah, because of the whole like religious... Uh, um, Ritual that I mentioned earlier yeah. about like native Tamasic people yes. wearing crowns and worshipping this or that. Yes. So I found it interesting that even for someone like Sang Nila Utama, who was like some prince, right? Mm. To make him relevant to Singapore, they had to work that crown into his legend mm. to make him relevant, to make the natives of Singapore think that he's legit. So that crown must have been a very big deal mm-hmm. in the 13th century, although we don't know much about it. And yeah. that's kind of what I based my whole religion on i'm sorry it got so in-depth and so historical i think it's that's interesting because this also this is the research part that you were talking about you 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 explore all possibilities and you want to make sure that you know your shit basically before you embark on something like this that's right <laughs> yeah there, there was i actually had a class on this when i was in university and religion? um it was on this particular sea goddess and like some of the ritualistic practices around it um my lecture was this artist called sarina Mm-hmm. And basically her practice, her as an artist, she does these like performance lectures where they are like a performance art, but it's also a lecture where it educates on, on the various things that she studies. And yeah, they used to do like, like some fishermen when they're crossing the border, they would throw yellow rice into the river. It's like an auspicious thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are like, there are certain landmarks as well still today where people would go to like people who believe in these things. It's a very small amount, but some people, yeah, they still they still take trips, and um, yeah, I think it's very interesting when you think about how our history has also eradicated, like our history of colonialism has eradicated a lot of our the history of this, the place, the place. Yeah, now, I, I was going to say country, but it's, it wasn't the country yet. Yeah, you know, it was just the place, and. And that's really important because I think, especially in Singapore, right? You said we we don't know what our our culture is, right? And there's always this this yearning or this search for our identity, you know, um, whether it's through like tangible validation, like the UNESCO Hawker Center thing, yeah, right? Or it's 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 like trying to identify like, oh yeah, like like you know, I I have a like a taping badge on my on my, you know, I'm Singaporean, yeah. right? But I think I think it. What this really says about society is is this really strong yearning to know who we are, what or we to are. belong to something. Yeah, to feel belonging, right? Which is, you know, I think in part of colonialism. I mean, you raised yeah. a really good point. Um, prior to this project, I had no idea that Singapore was seven hundred years old. Seven hundred. Yeah, and that's the recorded history part of it. I never knew. Like honestly, I think growing up in Singapore, we are 
taught that Singapore started when the when the British came, mm. and Singapore really started when PAP came along. Oh, 1965. That's the only exactly year I have. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, like a lot of this was also like just realizing that we have so much like erased or hidden hidden history, like like you mentioned, and that's also kind of one of the points I was trying to make about the project. Like with this project, like what what is what is ours and what is uh, a byproduct of colonialism? With, with uh, I think what you mentioned with facts and history weaved, interweaved, and it's difficult to, to, to separate what is real and what is not. Uh, do you feel history is important moving forward as, 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 as a country, as a culture? Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of my work, you know, I'm I'm very obsessed with like looking at history for I look at history so that I can predict what the future is like. Interesting. I think that, you know, there's a lot of patterns and loops in history and there are just some things that shouldn't be ignored and we we, we as humans always ignore them. Mm. But I think there are a lot of like so-called like universal truths that can be observed or found when you look when you study the past. Yeah. And also because um I, I never went to university. Yeah. I did like I did uh, Mescom at Nian Poly and yeah. then like my photography career started and I just never went. So I think a lot of it is also me kind of like making up for this lost opportunity. Yeah. Do you have any um do you have any examples? Examples of? Um like um particular things that you try to compensate with. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, nah, joke. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, so I, I do a lot of reading on things like astrophysics. Um, I do like online university courses from time to time. Coursera? Yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, when I was in LA, I actually took a color, color class at the art uni. Ooh, like, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, it was fun. And yeah. I, I think that's kind of what I mean. Like, and even art history, like I spent like two or three years, like, learning art history on my own because it's actually a shockingly difficult subject to learn about and cover on your own without like a lecturer's guidance. Well, what do you mean teacher. by difficult? Yeah. So like, okay, if I want to Google art history, yeah. it's just going to give me a bunch of movements, right? Yes. Where do I begin? Yeah. What is the significance of it? You know, there's no condensed digestible version and I'm not going to like go to a university and read an art history textbook from the start to the end. Mm. So um, figuring figuring that out and like um, having friends who are more like academic recommend me like more digestible books that I can read to kind of catch up. Yeah. Like that kind of thing is the kind of like effort I put into like supplementing my own education since I didn't really have one. So in a sense, having a certain sense of curiosity to, to even want to explore things outside of the, the realm of fashion. Yeah, but I don't even think it's just curiosity. I think it's really education. Okay. Like a desire for, for, for critical educa- education. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. Like, I find that, you know, with, with things as a creative in general, if you want to put things out there, you want to create content, and if, if you're only thinking in the realm or the sphere of whatever you're doing, right, your, whatever you put out tends to end up very stifled. Because you're only looking at things from one perspective, and I, I like that you say you 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 educate yourself, right? You 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 learn all these new things. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, and 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 they all kind of even though they're not direct directly correlated to your practice, like it still it still adds up and it still complements. Because I think with a lot of things that I I see 
people behave with, with, with what they do as a professional. Um, they just do things and they just do it without thinking of why they're doing it. And then they, f- they end up feeling very, very unfulfilled. And this, this applies to a lot of creatives as well that I've met, where they, they just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And they don't see how the things that they do can complement, right? Mm-hmm. So they have all these interests, right? And you've got interest in cooking, you've got interest in pottery, but they're also like a designer. And they keep all these things separate. But they don't see how they can actually kind of like supplement each other. Yeah, and I think, I think it's really important that you do that. Yeah, it's really cool. I think, you know, any, any creative that is only looking at its own field is going to be a repetition of something that has come before. The only way to be a true, cre- like, original creative is to, is to draw inspiration from something outside. And I think this applies a lot to photographers. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, especially if you're a bit younger and you grew up in the age of Instagram. Yeah. And, you're, and you, you might not realize that a lot of the things that people are posting or sharing um, are, like, whose work is it? Do you know who, which photographer shot mm. this? What, what's the, like, you know, and I'm not saying that, that this is back to like the whole like image theft thing. It's more than attribution, I think. It's, it's about being able to trace the history or the origin of an image. Because your favorite artist is ripping off someone else. Yeah. And your favorite artist who is ripping off someone else is probably referencing some painting. Yeah. Or some, something about history. The work is, the work is interesting because it is able to, the work is interesting because it reflects something beyond its own medium. Oh, could you explain that? A lot of photography that is very interesting is not just photography. A lot of fashion photography that is very interesting, for example, a lot of it is referencing paintings mm. or something else that you recognize from another medium that uh, looks familiar and therefore mm-hmm. you're drawn to it, but there's a twist to it. Mm. So I think, even I think for artists... I understand like painters, a lot of them, they have to trace first, right? And they have to paint an existing image. I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of young, uh, actually people in general like may not know that. And people really, they seem to think that all these ideas just appear in the stream of consciousness randomly out of someone's head. Mm -hmm. But that's not, that's really not the case. And when you realize that everyone is referencing and referencing and stealing are two different things you see. Mm. If you're able to see what, if you're able to trace the image that you like all the way down to the origin of what it was referenced from, yeah. you are able to look at it and understand why you like it and possibly come up with a new version of it. However, if you're just copying, it will just be a pill imitation of the latest iteration of the image. So that, that's some, I mean, I, maybe that applies more to photographers. No, I, I, I actually, I think what you're saying sounds like a lot to me, like introspection, right? And I, I think that applies in all sorts of fields because it's the same with painting. If you're just making a painting and you're just doing the same thing, or you see another painting and you like that painting, you just paint that, a copy of that painting, or you, you take some part of it, um, but you don't really think about why you do it. You're right; it comes out as a pale imitation. And I think it's the same, like with anything we do, really. Mm. If we just do it, right? You don't I, introspect. Yeah. I think. Did you, you know, just raise your hand? Yeah, so that I can tell you guys what I'm not talking. So you can cut. Hello, I studied mass comm. Hey, anyway. <laughs> don't y'all need some yeah. silence to cut in between anyway so no, 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 no. <laughs> bro anyway 
No, um, what I was going to say is like, I think, you know, when it comes to art in all its forms, yeah. um, one big thing is the difference between plagiarism and referencing. Yeah. And referencing is inevitable. Mm. You're going to have to do it for any kind of art form. So the difference between good art and a pale imitation of, of said art, I believe, is substance. And, you know, how is substance derived? Mm-hmm. It's derived from thinking. It's derived from setting it apart through research. Yeah. Also, I think, la, so that is my approach. Would would this be a topic about authenticity? Because when you said when 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 Nick said uh, after what Len has said, it's about introspection. But I thought authenticity, because I think it's difficult to term, to, to determine what is authentic these days. What is what is fake to a certain degree, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, everything is real and everything is fake at so, the same time. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it's more about um, reflecting a certain like truth that people can relate to or relating or like referencing a certain or giving it a new dimension by giving it a new context to view the work through. So for instance, in my example, like maybe I've shot, um, there's a shoot I did recently in Seoul for the brand Issei yeah. where I referenced like uh, Caravaggio paintings and then com- combined it with the poses. Okay, so I took images from South Korean prote- protest- protesters which is what Issei was referencing in their collection. Mm. And I shot exactly the same composition as the news image, but Caravaggio style. Oh, it's fascinating. So that's why they look like paintings, but the image is so police and like yeah, violent. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering, yeah. And so on. But that's the thing, like I'm not really referencing something new. Mm. And so many people reference Caravaggio every day. Yeah. The thing is taking that new context of Korean, South Korean pro- protesting and applying it to the Caravaggio image that makes it interesting and makes it something new. So I guess in some ways it's like alchemy, right? You, you can't just, you can't make more gold from gold. Yeah. You gotta add something else and then maybe make a new substance. Yeah. Was there, was there a particular link to the Caravaggio that you referenced? You mean like the painting-wise? Yeah, or? between the painting and the uh, the, the photograph like the news photograph I think it's because when I saw the image so okay I didn't know this I don't know if you know this but there's at least one protest going on in South Korea every single day that's oh, ridiculous wow. and this, it's been like this since like the whenever they separated from North Korea I'm not yeah. gonna pretend I know when that is <laughs> um, but yeah like every single day there's like some kind of peaceful protest going on um, outside the Blue Palace which is their White House and so on and so forth yeah. So when I when they told me about this, I, I didn't I didn't know this was a thing. It's very yeah. interesting. When I was trying to read up about it and looking at the images of it, I felt I got thought of that meme and from the Russian Parliament where they were fighting, they were having a fist fight in Parliament, and it, it oh. became a golden ratio painting. <laughs> oh, so that was a starting point. And then after that, I was like, oh, you know, maybe we can reference Caravaggio because Caravaggio. I mean, his work is actually really violent. I mean, he was a very violent guy. Like, mm-hmm. He was a, he was a convicted murderer. He, he was kind of an asshole. He liked to like... I mean, I'm sure you guys know this because you guys are fine arts, fine arts people. I'm not fine arts. <laughs> no, no, not even close. It's pretty fine. No, but, <laughs> no, but yeah, like, you know how he likes to draw... Prost- he used like... He would paint like some religious figure and then put a prostitute... Use a prostitute's face as the model, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. Anyway, it's kind of a loose connection. But it's kind of, that's how my train of thought came to be. Was it... Was it... I'm just curious to know... Um, was it difficult arriving at such a thought? Was it like, uh, for lack of a better word, instant? Was it? Did, did you connect the dots like this when when you saw the picture and you you looked into the, the South Korean protesting? Yeah, it's, I'm becoming faster and faster at doing it. Recognizing. And, yeah, and this this comes from said research. Mm. If I never did that self education of art history, do you think I would know who Caravaggio is? I think you would. It would take a longer time. 
I don't. I mean, I, I really wouldn't have. And I, I think that's, that's why the self-education part is so important. Because like now I have a bank of information to draw upon. Every time I look at something, I'm like, oh, actually, this reminds me of this. And it's like a subconscious like, process that goes. Mm. Rather than like, having to like, look at something and be like, oh my god, I need to be creative. Mm. How do I make this different? And yeah. then like, making it a very like, intentional, like, uncomfortable process. So, so would you say like the lead up to like a project, that lead up time, it's where you consume uh, what your interests are, where you prepare, where you, you learn different things. And until the project arrives, you're all prepared. You're all prepared to go. You don't have to wait till the project comes to you and you, you start doing. It's, it is like that. It's like a lifestyle. I think that's what you're saying. It's a constantly ongoing. Yeah. And it's not like I'm doing this just for my project. I have to be interested in it too. Mm. Hence the reading, hence the research, hence the documentary watching or whatever. But I think also creativity is a muscle. And I think like coming up with concepts, especially for photographers, is a muscle you have to work. I can clearly remember like when I first started and I was completely unable to even figure out how to make two images look like they were from the same series. Oh, okay. Like, you know, the, even that starting point was so difficult to grasp. And it really just took a lot of practice and, like, studying other people's work mm. uh, to kind of understand, like, oh, so, like, you know, this is the color theme. Yeah. Or, like, this is what... And sometimes it's, like, the, 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 the connection in the images or the theme that guides the entire shoot mm. may not be obvious to you as a viewer, but it looks like a series because they thought about it when they made it. And I think that kind of intention is very honest and mm. it will reflect in your work whether you intentionally do so or not. Therefore, why for all my work, I try and put intention into it. Intention. Interesting. So, we, I mean, we've talked a lot about education and, and looking at things. And one thing that, you know, um, I was thinking about right, was where do you think creativity comes from? Mm, okay, so for someone like me... Um, I think creativity is like something you work at. I know you work at? You work at. Mm. I know for a lot of people, it's like a magical muse that, uh, you know, appears and yeah. gives you an idea and goes away. Genie, right? Like literally, that's what the Greeks... Greeks I was thinking of fairy, but yeah. It was. No, like literally, it was called a genie. Like anyway, that's a, another whole history <laughs> thing. Anyway, so I, yeah, I think it's... It's like, you know, you, you do as much as you can on your own to ensure that you have something for the idea to come from. Mm. And this includes reading, studying, living life, traveling. I mean, I don't know, like whatever you do, cooking even. And then when the idea arrives, you have to be ready for it. Mm. But I don't, I do think it's something you can work at. I think it's something you can work at by, by putting in the effort of like observing other artists or watching a lot of films or, you know, like trying to, trying to figure it out. You know, if you just sit there and wait for the best idea in the world to hit you, I don't think that's how it works. I mm. think it is a gradual, you build, like layer upon layer, you get a bit better and better at it. And that's why I see it as a muscle that you build because you got to constantly work it and then it becomes a stronger muscle. Would you, would you say then that it's like the, the accumulative experiences that you go through? For me, yes. But I mean, of course, I would love to hear what, how you guys get creative like what's your starting point let's How get do you, creative let's get, <laughs> do you watch don't hug me I'm scared yeah. <laughs> um okay Kevin you want to go first please please do <laughs> okay uh, um I think yeah so so for me uh I, I don't actually call it creativity but I call it sensibility so I don't think that um the capacity to make art comes it's not like 
like a like some like divine intervention that's bestowed upon me. I, I I think that's innate within everybody, and I think that it comes out in a lot of ways, whether you want to or not. Like for an artist, it comes out intentionally, but for a lot of people, there's a lot of beauty and there's a lot of artistry in in the small things that they do, and I think that's because um, the way I see the things that people do or create um, comes from this accumulative experience that they go through. It, it's an experience that stacks on top of each other, but it's less of a line and more of a circle because it's a circle that goes outwards. And what that does is that the more someone experiences, the more context they have in their life and they more, the more you know they grow as a person. And as they go through more things, that circle sort of just becomes bigger. And with the work that they do, whether they're an artist or they're a baker or a gardener, their experiences, you know, goes into the work. It comes out through their hands. And I think for me that with, with my artworks, that's, that's really what it, that's all it is. I watch films, you know, I, I try to, you know, learn things about things that I don't know about, I try to experience new things that I haven't experienced before, whether it's food or sport or, you know, see something that I haven't seen before. Even if I don't want to see it, then all the more I would want to see it because why did I not want to see it? It's also such a comfort zone thing. Yeah, it really is. It really, really is. Yeah. So what was the last thing that you saw that was outside of a comfort zone? Um, last thing I saw that was outside of my comfort zone was... Okay, so I'm, I'm very, very non-confrontational. What does that mean? That means that I don't like to fight with people. Physically? So, no, no, like, like even just like an argument. Okay. Like I'm, I'm very afraid of conflict like, avoidant. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just like I'll just keep quiet. Yeah. Um, but uh, like, I think the last, the last, the last conflict I had was with someone who was telling me that, um, they were telling me uh, how to be an artist. Okay. Yeah. They were telling me how to be an artist or what kind of artist I should be. Yeah. Um, but they were not from the creative field at mm-hmm. all. Right? So someone outside looking in. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't the kind where it was like that you should be because I think it will help you mm-hmm. based on what you are now. It was like, no, you should be this because this is what an artist is. And I think like when I put it in a situation like that, usually I just like, oh, Okay. <laughs> oh, cool. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> right? But but I I really like took it apart. like I really felt like I had to say something like like uh, to to just to educate. Mm. Because I felt like what they were saying was not coming from a bad place. Um but it was just kind of like a place of ignorance. Mm-hmm. And the way I see it it's a, it's with a lot of things today. Like, you know, like with what you were saying about how there were a lot of people who were against the repealing of 3778. Yeah. But they just, you know, we, we didn't know they existed. Like, they could have been our friends. We wouldn't even have known. Yeah. And I think uh, the reason I spoke out, uh, I, I, I suddenly wanted to talk and, like, argue back at this, this indiv- particular individual is because if you keep keeping quiet and you don't have conversations, right, and you don't stay open about these conversations, you don't stay open-minded to, to accept a difference in opinion, then you're really just staying in that same bubble, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're staying in that safe spot and no one's growing. No one's going anywhere. Mm. Everyone's just kind of like passively, aggressively, kind of like 
no, I don't agree with you, but I'm just going to stay here, you know? And, and then nothing happens, nothing grows. And I think it's really important that, you know, right now as a society, like, that we need to look forward. We need to look at, you know, like, stop with just the appeasement. Stop trying to appease each other. And think of, like, a real constructive way of growing as a society, yeah. Would, would looking forward in this instance mean having more conversation, even the difficult ones? Yeah, especially the difficult ones. Because you have to, you have to talk about it, you have to share. Like, and I think um, it's going to take time, right? Of course. It takes compassion and it takes open-mindedness, which not everybody has. And that's okay, you know? And that's really okay. It's just, it's just being compassionate. Like, even someone who doesn't want to hear things, like... To make the first step, you have to be like, it's okay, you know, if you don't want to hear it now, you don't have to, you know. It's just like slowly just building relationships. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, that takes so much courage in this day and age, especially because we live in such a politically uh, woke society now. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of times it's so hard because people see criticism as a personal attack. Mm. And I think it has to do with like the fragility of our opinions now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's very hard it's very hard. No one really welcomes, unless someone welcomes criticism, it's almost impossible to say something to them without it seeming like you're attacking what they stand for, Mm. you're attacking their point of view, or you're not accepting Mm. their point of view. But I think like what you brought up, what is so ironic about that is that if you don't challenge beliefs, you may not be able to help other people become open-minded. Like if you don't have a discussion about why you disagree about something Neither of you may develop new perspectives. Yeah, but in this in this train of thought, you would have to be open to yourself changing your own perspective, isn't it? Because you would have to put yourself up. You have to uh, bring yourself up to the plate for discussion as well. Because you you might have an opinion, the, the the other party might have another opinion, which is differing from yours. But you have to. You have to be willing to be open-minded. Yeah. You have to be willing to be wrong. Maybe. Yeah. 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 You have to be okay with the idea of being wrong. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's all perspective. Um actually there's a funny story. Okay, so like when 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 um I was being taught about perspective as Drawing? a kid. No, no, like um <laughs> like 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 <laughs> Yes. Maybe. Actually actually this I mean it could have been like I I I think it really could have been but uh, <laughs> No, we were talking about perspective of thought. Gotcha. And we were sat at two ends of a table. And then there was an object in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then we were told to describe what the object looked like. Yeah. So now two people sitting at different ends of the table will be looking at the same thing. Yeah. But what they see be completely different. Mm-hmm. So I found that, you know, like with what you're saying about perspective, right? And the willingness, it's, it's it needs to come from a place that where people want to know, right? But it's also mm, this negotiation of like like how hurt someone could be from hearing things. The ego. Yeah. And I mean, okay, so like, okay, this is also another story, but basically someone was telling me like, Singaporeans are so rude because they don't look at you in the eye when they talk. Mm. But to me, like a lot of my Singaporean friends, they tell me like, when someone like looks at them in the eye, it's like, what? Like, what, what, what's your problem? Yeah. So it's. I think it's also very cultural, right? And and then how do you negotiate through like this cultural differences to reach 
this critical point where you're able to communicate effectively. I think that's really the hardest part is the, is the communication of sentiment mm-hmm. and the communication of, of a message Intent. both at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's so easy for it to be misconstrued for someone who wants to talk about something and then the other person taking offense to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends on a lot of other um, intangible factors of uh, like the, the, the mood of the person, what headspace the person is in at the moment and all these things you can't really take into account. Because you might feel one thing and the, the other party might feel another and depending on the relationship that you guys have at the moment. Yeah. And, and what Len said about criticism, I think in the age of Instagram, you are getting, uh, you're getting positive feedback and you might also get negative uh, criticism for people that you don't know. And I think that's, that's kind of like a new problem. Actually, what I find so interesting is that I don't really get negative Oh no no no! As in, the, not not now that my work is <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where I was going. No, but no, but um, I think what's so interesting is that the age of Instagram actually encourages only positivity. Mm. Like you know, it's become very hard to give negative feedback about anything because you are encouraged to only say good things or be positive and to be sensitive. All of which are wonderful things, but you you also have to strike a balance. I think combined with like screen cap culture. What a screen cap. Like, you know, you might say something offensive, someone screen grabs it, shares it on the internet, everyone knows that you said that. Point Mm. is like, now it's super easy to like, present evidence Mm. and receipts. Or or, or, or present people in a bad light because of something taken out of context. Exactly. So I think because of it actually, and also because of, for fear of like, Ruining relationships and things mm. like that is more now more than ever. There's only positivity. I only hear it when people like my work, and even if they don't really like the work, they'll still like it. Like on Instagram, yeah. maybe it's a friend thing, maybe it's a polite thing. You know, like it's not really even about what is shown anymore. It's about a maintaining relationship kind of thing. Mm. So the only time this is pretty funny. The only time I ever got a really angry message about my work was when I shot Ross Butler, who's like, you who's know, Ross Butler? He's an Asian. He's an Asian. Is he Asian American? Anyway, he's an Asian um, actor, young actor oh. in Hollywood. He's pretty popular. The Riverdale guy. The Riverdale guy. Yeah. That's right. So the, he, the main lead. No, uh, he's not the main lead. He's Reggie, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, someone watches Coast Riverdale. Props? No, that's uh, that's Jughead. Jughead. Oh, okay, okay. That's right. Yeah. Not my stuff. Ooh, he, was, <laughs> That's your stuff. he was also in 13 Reasons Why and more recently in Shazam. So, you know, ah, okay. Ross is a very good looking guy. Um, but so one of his fans messaged me and said, if you ever shoot Ross again, can you do a better job? Can you make him look better, please? Okay. Thank you in advance. <laughs> Thank you in advance. <laughs> Still so polite. No, but yo, these fans are demanding. Like every time yeah. I shoot these like Hollywood cuties, yeah. like I get messages from like, you know, all these young fans with yeah. very demanding messages like, yeah. like, um, excuse me, no, not even excuse me, just when is the video coming out? Yikes. Wow. When is the video ready? Like, stuff like that. So anyway, so the only uh, vitriol I receive online is from young children who yeah. are in love with Hollywood stars. But do you ignore them? Do you even take, take time to reply to them? What do you do? I replied the video one because I was like, you know, this this is a this is a practical question. I will yeah. let you know when the video is ready. Uh, but uh, no, I, I don't. I did not. I did not reply. I'm not sure what I could have said. I'm sorry for letting you down. Please allow me to do a better job next time I photograph him. Like, what do you what do you respond? But 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 it's interesting because it feels like because they're your followers or they 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 follow your work. They like your work. They 
essentially could demand certain things. Oh no, I don't think that girl followed me. I think she saw the photo on Ross's uh, Instagram and was just outraged at how could you make him look so ugly and then took it upon herself to message me and let me know her feelings about these images. <laughs> wow. Thank you, child, for letting me know <laughs> how you felt. Child. About child. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, uh, how, do you f- how do you feel then about... about um, this sort of do you think there is a difference between like uh Singapore and New York like in terms of how vocal people are with their opinions I think actually what's interesting is I you know like you said your friend thinks that Singaporeans are so rude in some ways now that I'm being exposed to a, a foreign culture I'm starting to understand why people think that Singaporeans are so blunt and rude we are very direct and like we are not very just now you you said something about sentiment right like how how you convey something we are not very good at the how we're conveying part we can say thank you but still sound like we're not happy for example passive aggressively yeah and it's not even intentional it's Mm. really it's it could be our inflection it could be the way we speak it could it could you know like it's, it's not it's not that big a deal yeah but um yeah it's interesting how these things can be misconstrued but what i do find interesting is learning the difference between the singaporean creative industry and the american one mm-hmm. so i think the biggest difference is that in the us especially in new york um it is possibly like maybe the biggest market for commercial photography right now i can't think of anywhere bigger to be honest and I think the biggest difference is that regardless of what role you're doing, even if you're doing a really, really small, insignificant role at a magazine, uh, like you are assistant to a director like, or something, yeah. uh, you actually have health care. You have job stability. Stability, wow. Yeah, like you don't have to be worried about getting fired tomorrow. You don't have to be worried about how you're going to pay for this or that. Yeah. And I think that is actually what makes the biggest difference between our two industries. Because there are so many very, very good creatives in Singapore. Mm-hmm. But so many also that give up because they need, they need to have a life and they need to f- pay for things and stuff, right? Yeah. But whereas in the US, like, it's an actual viable career option to pursue something in the creative world. Because um, the infrastructure is in place. Mm. So I, I really think that is actually more than anything else the biggest difference. Well... If you had to guess, why would you think that is? Um, I mean, beyond the obvious, uh, you know, like time is the most obvious factor, of course. Like their industry is bigger and older. Mm. You know, advertising has been huge uh, in the 60s. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that from Mad Men. But <laughs> probably <laughs> lah. History education. Probably, History education, probably. yeah. Them, yeah. Uh, me, a pseudo-intellectual. Anyway, so basically like, uh, I think, you know, there is that. They have the money also to finance. There's enough money coming in so that everyone can get paid well, and for the for the for the industry to be ready for to accept more money. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like for us here, it's like we have maybe one big job that feeds like fifty mouths. When mm. is the next one coming? Who knows? Mm. Will Will people think about shooting ads in Singapore in the first place? Like why not? If you have that much money, why not go to America where they have the infrastructure? For so we it? get the scraps basically. Not even no. I don't. I don't think that's true. I think it's just that we don't have the infrastructure to support uh, jobs of that volume. In the it's like a vicious cycle, right? We don't have the infrastructure to support the volume of these jobs. Therefore, the volume of these jobs don't come here. Mm. Therefore, people don't have enough jobs to live. Which feeds back to yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like um, the best metaphor I can think of for this is the pair of scissors in the clamshell case. So you need another pair of scissors to open your packet for a pair of scissors. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, feel, I have no idea what you're talking about. No? <laughs> could you, could, could you, you, know, you know, like a pair of scissors that's in a plastic case? Yeah. That the only way to open the plastic case is with a pair of scissors. Ah. Or the chicken and the egg. What's <laughs> 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 like, what are you talking about? Packaging, scissors. <laughs> but okay, I can understand. Yeah, yeah like, um, but do you think Singapore will ever be able to move out of that, you know? I think it is possible if we maybe change the way we look at art and the creative world. I mean, like, even before you start doing any creative work in Singapore, you've already been told a million times before, like, by strangers in schools, by your parents, that this is not sustainable. I've heard that before. Yeah. And I mean, I'm lucky. My parents never really, like, gave me any shit for Mm. wanting to pursue, like, photography or whatever. But even in school, you know, like, anyone that shows any deviance from from the norm is kind of like treated like a weirdo or like yeah. meets some kind of like social resistance. So I think that's one part of it. I think another big part of it is also like just the absence of art in Singapore. When I was in New York, it was the first, I think the first time I went to New York, I was 25, not that long ago. 25, okay. And when I got there, I realized for the first time that I had no idea what art is. What do you mean by that? I work in the creative world in Singapore, right? Yes. Like creative industry, blah, blah, blah. But then when I got there and I looked at, I went to the Met and I went to all these amazing free museums Yeah. and I looked at the art and I was like, I don't know if this is good or not. Mm. How do I tell? I have no clue. You do have an opinion of it. Yeah, I mean like in Singapore, you're trained to think that this art is good because it's expensive. Mm. You are learned to like judge art based on the price tag. Value. Yeah. So, like, you know, when I think if you grew up in a place like the US where, like, art of this caliber is readily available, you form an opinion about art, whether you don't have to try to form an opinion about art. It's a natural thing. Also, even simple things like graffiti in Singapore. If you grew up in a, in a city that has a lot of street art, I think it really affects your ability to judge art or to perceive art, whether you realize it or not. And, like, similar to what I was saying before about research and also, like, imitation, plagiarism, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. If you don't look at a large volume of art, or if you don't look at a large volume of photography, how do you know what a good photograph looks like? How do you know what good art looks like? What, what is the basis of, of which you're judging this upon? Mm. So I think that's, that's another really big factor. Mm. Do, do you think that um, it is in part with this whole, um, like with the society's perception of qualitative and quantitative values? Yeah, definitely. I think because Singapore is such a like, we are val- very numbers and value driven society. So I think mm. it's very hard for, t- for us to look at something and say that this is good, even if it's free. Mm. And uh, I think yeah. that's also one thing about like even public art in Singapore, you know, like pe- you need to put a sign around it that says this is art or you need to put like something around it to block people from going in because otherwise they, they don't value it. Mm. They may do things to it. They may fuck it up, you know? Like, the fact that we have to do that shows how little awareness there is in Singapore about what constitutes art or not, or, like, the value of things that are free. Does this stuff of education, though? Does this stuff of exposure? Yeah. I think definitely. I think, I think, I mean, because in Singaporean society, you always, well, at least in a lot of societies, not just ours, is you look at things from, a, at the core, quantitative yeah, from quantitative perspective, even if you try to look at qualitative things, it's at, it's it'll link back to a quantitative value, right? And I think when you start that that that, that comes really from a I think in my opinion a lack of introspection because you just taught universal, tangible, countable things. 
Yeah. You know, you just value things based on how much you can count it. And that's universal. Yeah. Because that's between you and I, we can count one to five. Yeah. But just five? I, I oh, hope so. At one, least. two, <laughs> four. <laughs> but but if we if we were to look at the same picture. Yeah. You know, if we were to look at an abstract artwork yeah. per se. I might like it, you might not. Mm. Right? And I, but that's really the most important part because that's how you get to know people and that's how you get to know yourself because you look at it oh, I don't like it I like it right and then you're like why, do you, why don't you like it or why, don't, why do I like it that's the follow up question right right exactly yeah. and that's how conversations come about you know and that's that's really in my opinion at like the peak of the beauty of art because it, it can do that right it can do things even though it's not doing anything yeah <laughs> um, but as a society, yeah, we don't really do that, you know? Because you're like, oh, how much is the painting? Oh, it's $50,000. Oh, how, how much is that painting? Oh, it's $2,000. Oh, so this one must be better, right? It's exactly like what you said. Um, but, you know, to to someone, like, it could meet, it could be a lot more. Like, the, 2000, the, like the, the cheaper painting could mean a lot more. And I think that's when you really, like, you can appreciate the nuances within people, right? The differences. And... I remember when I started doing art, I could, I was in the same position. I couldn't tell what was good or bad. Um, the paintings that I hated then, I love now. Interesting. Know? And the paintings that I love then, I hate now. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's so easy to just, it could go in a circle. I mean, that's fine. That's fine. Like two years right? later, your taste could change. Yeah. Right? But that's great because like, it, it, you know, like, that's that's life, right? Like art imitates life, life imitates art, blah blah blah. But 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 it 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 can do so much. It can really do so much. And as a society, I think we stand to gain a lot from that. You know? I tried to take art in secondary school and got rejected. Because you because you couldn't hit the metrics of, of what they wanted for you or? So like in my in my school I come from a very hood secondary school, high sing Catholic school. I've heard of that, the gangster one, right? Damn Even hood. I know oh, now, yeah. Damn hood. <laughs> so no one in the express course to art. Mm. Art was something for the normal students. Mm. Wow. So already, you know, like this vein of elitism. Um so I tried to take art in school because I discovered that there were two students in the express stream who were allowed to take art and were doing it part time out after class and I walked into them drawing still life and I was like, Oh, can I come? Yeah. So I went to talk to the teacher and she was like, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, we can talk to the principal, see what, see what happens. So the principal said, sure, I'm open to it. Um, can you do a test for us to see if you're suitable to do art? Yeah. So I think I was drawing a bunch of fruits or something like still life. I mean, you guys have seen my stick figures. <laughs> I am Picasso, right? Like, I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible, terrible uh, figure, figure artist. I'm just a terrible artist. Don't make me draw or write anything. I, I, I write like a secondary school boy. No offense to all the secondary school boys like, out there. Like in caps or something? No, it's just bad. I can draw for you later. It's damn yes, jealous. please. Damn jealous. <laughs> so anyway, I did, I did this apple yeah. uh, or like a bowl of apples. I don't know. And um, I was called into the vice principal's office. Okay. And she, she came to me and she said, you can't take art. Because based on that one drawing you did, the best you're ever going to do in school for art is a B4. And that is not acceptable. We are only going to let you take art if you can get at least a A1. That's pretty damning. Otherwise, what? you know, you're going to bring, you're going to bring the, the school's, uh, what, bell curve or whatever yeah, down. Yeah. 
Can you imagine being a 15-year-old child and knowing that your art cannot, yeah, your yeah. art forever be for... Yeah, it's pretty damning, yeah. Cannot, you, if you don't get A, cannot be artist. I think that's ridiculous. Because it doesn't, it doesn't at all, like, it doesn't compensate for the fact that people can grow. Yeah, and I, yeah. I actually think, like, a lot of the best artists out there are people who are not that good initially. Like, mm-hmm. to be a successful working artist, like, a lot of times I notice that it's people who initially were, like, they're not super talented. They're, 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 they have some aptitude for it, but they're not the best. And, but it's because they're not the best and they are hungry to be better. Mm-hmm. That's why they put in all the extra effort to be... And they have the, they have the persistence and they have the grit. Grit. Yes, to, to, to actually pursue a career in this terrible industry. Yeah. <laughs> to want to. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel art, too. I'm, I feel, oh. yeah. I'm curious to know both your perspective on this. Um, do you guys see yourself as talented individuals in the creative, whatever practice? Like, no. Yeah. What, no? Nope. No talent at all? It'd be fall nope. FM. Yeah. But that was then. Yeah, like, has... has if I draw a, a bowl of apples for you now, it's still a B4. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Nick? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think... I think um, I really okay. I don't see myself as special, and I think talent is something that's very special. Mm-hmm. I think I'm talented at. No, actually, I don't really think I'm talented. I think I just like to try things. Yeah, and um, I think with what I do right now, it's it's just me trying things. I, I remember we, um, you know, like we talked once about how what is happiness. Yeah. Right, and happens to me is to want to try, is to be able to keep trying, and I think I think that's the only thing, and I don't think that's talent, because I don't think that you need to be a talented person to try, mm. you know, yeah, like anybody can try, just whether you want to put yourself there or not. And a lot of times, like really, really, really talented people, they never have to try, and therefore they never really develop the stamina for trying. Stamina. Yeah, Interesting. because I mean, this is grit. Is it's the reason why it's called grit? Like, it's not easy to be in this field and like not make money and stuff, and also get your stuff rejected um, all the time or not get hired. To persist and make it, you know, like you know, I think minimum like anyone who wants to be top, good at what they do, I think they need to put in at least ten years, right? To survive, ten take, yeah. yeah, to survive ten years in Singapore, a Singapore, a creative industry like Singapore is like you really need stamina. Mm. Or a lot of wealth, like me, I don't know, either or like, <laughs> very rich also can, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, like definitely. Um to be able to yeah, I, I actually even if you have money, you know, like you can have money, but if you don't work to be in there, you're not gonna get any fulfillment out of it. You're gonna drop out anyways. Because I've seen that. You know, people just getting fickle and then jumping all over the place and then they just leave, right? And and I think um, with choosing a field that is hard to be in, you really gotta know why you're there. Mm-hmm. You know, at least to yourself. And it's okay if the answer to that why changes. Yeah, it's just you gotta keep asking yourself why are you doing this, and knowing that you want to do it. Yeah, because there's yeah, I mean, there's so many other more practical, quantitative, yeah, you know, um, kind of jobs that you can do. To, to stay comfortable yeah. if that's what you're looking for you know but yeah like yeah talent is is it's a nice thing to have but you 
it's definitely not what you need to stay in the industry. Yeah. So, so af- after having been um, professionals in the creative industry for some time for both of you, um, do you still believe in talent? Or is it just a certain measure of grit, hard work, uh, getting to know people, staying persistent, staying uh, persistent in getting knowledge? I think the most important factor is vision, not oh. talent. Talent is a good baseline. Talent is a good starting point. Yeah. Uh, but vision is what sets artists apart. How, how would you describe vision personally? I mean, I've seen there are a lot of artists out there or like there are a few artists out there who might look at their work and I might be like, wow, this is technically trash. But you are presenting an idea I've never thought of. I've never mm. thought about the subjects you explored. I have never even begun to think about this in that way. Therefore, you have vision and that's more important. It's also like being a di- director in film. You know, a lot of times it's not about how experienced you are. It's about what how unique the story is you're able to tell or how you're able to have the vision to tell a very mundane story in the most spectacular fashion possible, like Tarantino, for example. Someone told me that recently. Like, the, being the director of a film, you don't have to be the most technically uh, professional. You can know nothing. TV but age. you have to be able to digest your vision, <clears throat> tell it to people, like, like what you mentioned earlier about uh, digesting, being the motherbird and... T- giving the, the, the vision to the I'm so eloquent yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually that, that that is to me the most interesting thing about film is because there are so many people right involved in, in the making of a movie or an ad yeah. or you know just like a like a like a like a video anything right you've got people who do so many different roles right but it's one outcome yeah right and it's really so amazing when one outcome comes out really well, but there are so many other hands involved, right? Because the director has this vision, and you're right, he doesn't need the technical know-how. That's why everyone else is there. Yeah. But there's so many brains putting all their different, all their knowledge, right? And it's all accumulated in the outcome. Mm. And that's really like the most beautiful thing to see. Um, I think film's a really hard industry to be in, and you know, major props to anyone that can really stay in that industry but it's also it's it's such a it's such a beautiful thing to witness i think despite all like you know like the sweaty the sweating and the long hours and the <laughs> shitty pay and you know the the crappy working culture sometimes um it's yeah it's really cool i think what's more interesting is actually when so many people are involved and the result is shit is it shit though? No, I've always been curious I, about that. No, but I, I think that's interesting because sometimes like everyone can come together and do the best of their ability and the idea may be good and it still doesn't come out right. Mm. I find that super intriguing because it's like, what is this magical X factor that makes something work or doesn't work? Mm. You can prepare to the best of your ability and can still be rubbish, but that's also related to grit. Because how do you survive a project like that? How can you do something to the best of your ability and still have it turn to shit and still want to make your next whatever? Mm. How to pick yourself up from that, right? Mm. Do, you, do, you, do you have any examples? Bro, I have so many. Um, of a terrible film? No, like I, I've had... Um, I've had... Okay, I'll give you guys a few loose instances. Okay. Um, I've had shoots with like very big Hollywood celebrities where they got angry at me and they scolded me. I've had shoots where, um, like the the one the one um, when I shot Lily Cole and I fell into the sea. Like I shot a supermodel and I fell into the sea and the photos sucked. 
Like, how do you get back from that? Like, how do you... I mean, I was... I mean, honestly, I, I felt like... And this is this might be still valid. Like, wow, I am the worst photographer in the world. Because mm-hmm. how can you shoot a supermodel and make it look bad, yeah? Like, how terrible is that? Um, <clears throat> I've had people get injured on my set. Mm-hmm. That's actually the hardest to swallow. What do and, you mean get injured, though? Um, I had someone, like, slip on some rocks while we were shooting in the sea and then yeah. her leg was crashed up. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, and, like, you know, these things is, like, everyone is there with the best intention. Everyone is there, like, wanting to create the best work pro- uh, possible. And, like, something like this happens, like, how do you not have PTSD for the next one? Mm. How, how do you pick yourself up? I mean, I got to pay rent, uh, so... Is that the only motivating factor? <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, for me, like, honestly, from day one, my, my uh, why I'm in this or like why I've persevered for this long yeah. is that I'm really curious to see how far I can go. Interesting. That's it. That's it. Like that's all. Like even now in New York, I'm like, oh, how long can I survive? Like, will I get spit out? Am I gonna, am I gonna make it? I'm curious to see how this story ends. How, how long have you been in New York? It's only been about like seven months. Seven? And wow. I've, I came, I've really been back like three times. So like more wow. like two weeks. Lah, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I see. If, if, do you do you, do you see yourself there for another like five to ten years? The longer I stay there, the more I realize like, you know, like the world out there is really big, mm. and there is so much to pursue. And um, the agency I'm with, they have offices in London and also Paris. Mm-hmm. So I think like even if I don't stay in the US specifically, I may want to go on to like different markets, you know, like Europe or even China. China is so interesting right now. Um, these are all things I would love to explore. I I I think the only motivation I would have to come back to Singapore is if like I can somehow make a difference to the state infrastructure I was talking about earlier. Mm. Unless there's some way for me to drastically, magically change the infrastructure and make it so that it's sustainable for everyone working in it. It's very hard to imagine me coming back. But of course, you know, maybe I will fail. Maybe I will do a... Ter- I mean, maybe I'll run out of money and I'll have no choice but to come back. And that is something I fully prepared for and accepted. You're aware of as well. Yeah, and I think you can't do these things without accepting this possibility. Because like otherwise like the pressure and the strain you're putting on your own mind is way too insane. Mm. That's a really exciting way to live life. (laughs) Would you describe yourself as a person that always has a plan? I think I'm very, very organized. uh, And I don't always have a plan, but I always have a general direction I'm working towards. A vision? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, yeah? yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I am super organized, but I, I I, wasn't always like that. And this is something that I think I brought up earlier too, right? Like, you know, um, so like after that whole Lily Cole incident of me falling into the sea, that was the first time I ever went overseas on my own to pursue a career. So yeah. I went to Japan. Yeah. I lived there alone for three months yeah. without speaking the language, yeah. without a visa, yeah. without knowing Anything about what I had gotten myself into. I'm glad you're here today. Thank you. Yeah. It, it was, it's, it's, I don't know how I survived. And I, I think if I did it, if I had planned that trip, I wouldn't have gone. Because the mm. idea is so insane and so ridiculous that if I had given it more thought, it would have fallen through. Interesting. So it's some, you know, some, sometimes you need like blind stupidity Faith? slash courage. Faith? <laughs> I had, I had no faith it was gonna work out. Interesting. I I did not think about it, and that's why I went, and that that's how why that's the only reason why it worked. Okay. 
Yeah. So I think sometimes it's a bit of both. Of course, you know, now that I'm older, after having been to Japan, like now when I go to America, it's, I plan, I prepare, I make sure I have enough finances because I do not want to be in that state ever again. Mm. When I went to Japan, I had $5,000. For three months? For three months. To pay, you have to pay room and board, you have to pay Every expense. Every single thing. Jeez. I did not even find a room yeah. that I was going to stay in because I was that young and stupid. I was 21 or something. My hairdresser, shout out to Kazuki from Kizuki and Lim, Found me a room yeah. out of like sheer, I guess he was like worried for me. He was yeah. like, what is wrong with this stupid girl? Yeah. And he found me a room uh, with his friend. So I got saved lah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like Japan, nothing, nothing about it was sensible. Nothing about it was logical. Everything I did there was damn stupid. But if I didn't do it, I never would have been able to make it to the point where I could have gone to New York. Oh, okay. You know? That is interesting. It's the experience, the cumulative experience. Not even just that. Yeah, maybe maybe the experience, the experience of knowing what to look out for when you're living alone, mm, the experience of knowing what it's like when you're alone in a foreign country with no contacts, and you're trying to get work. You know, like uh, you know, you gotta you gotta what the, eat eat bitter. Eat bitter. <laughs> I, I've, I've never. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, because yeah, I mean. Not we don't always learn just from good things. We learn from bad things too, and sometimes there is a lot of value to that. To just know, you know, to just know. Yeah, I suppose. My career has been a series of car crashes. I thought you were going to say unfortunate events, but close enough. Okay. Not unfortunate. More like you know, inst- instigated stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> would Would you describe? As of right now, your career, your professional career is successful. No. I mean, I can see how it would look that way from mm. an outsider's perspective. Mm. And I do think that I've come a long way. Mm. But um, no, I, I think I'm, I really see myself as like pawn scum. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, I know. I love calling myself that. But I really feel that way. Like, it, And I think also, if you're ever satisfied with where you are, you are never going to grow. Not that I'm intentionally thinking... A lit- belittling myself yeah. but truly the world out there is so big and yeah. my work really isn't that good like th- there are so many people I, I constantly on Instagram I scroll and I see someone's work that makes me like despair why can't I be as good as this person like what's wrong with my photography like you know and like all these kind of like questions and like deep crit- self critic self deprecation you know deprecation yeah. yeah are there other times where you feel immensely proud of what you do I think the one and only time is truly the issue wedding. Mm. That 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 is one thing I am so proud of, but not just because of like how the images turned out, but it was that shared experience and I think it's like the shoot had a greater purpose beyond serving our portfolios, beyond mm. beyond a simple reason, you know, like it was it, it was a meaningful shared experience. I want to go back to the description of Pondscum. I have a question. Um what will your scientific name be? If you were pawns come, yeah. Len Lenas Bectimolius. Okay. Do you is is it is it something that would grow? Um I mean Hopefully, I'm hoping that this pawns gum will eventually be able to get out of the water surface. Okay. And onto land. Okay. Um I, I really just want to get to some kind of like low hanging branch at some point. Okay. Um that would that'd be great. Interesting. <laughs> Aim high. <laughs> I had this really funny visual in my head. And it's actually from the Singapore Art Museum, which is now under renovation. <laughs> but it was like this like um like 
amoeba thing. Yeah. That like kind of like crawls out of like this swampy thing. Yeah. And it climbs this immense cliff and then it finds out and it grows these like tiny little feet. Yeah. And then it finds out that it's in a world full of people with mm. really long legs. Mm-hmm. So they're all these like little like amoebic reptilian things with like really long human legs. Yeah. And it's this little like pond scum with like tiny legs. And then it gets kicked around and beaten around. And then it ends up falling back down, all the way down, back into the pond. And that was it. That's very poetic. Yeah. <laughs> That's my self-perception right there. Yeah, it's funny. That was a kid's, like a kid's short film. It's very real. <laughs> so I'm curious, Len, what does success look like to you? Mm, I think, and uh, have you guys watched Black Swan? The one with Natalie Portman? Yeah. You know how like she she's seeking perfection as a dancer, yes, and then she finds it, but in return she goes insane and dies. I believe so. Yeah. Sometimes I think I'm hated that way. Okay. <laughs> like there is this like insane desire for to better my work mm. and to like improve and to make my work perfect. I know that logically that's impossible. It doesn't exist perfection. No, I don't think so. But I think this obsession is what drives me, and I don't think someone like with a mindset like mine would be able to look at something objectively and see that it's success. Mm. Oh shit, just got dark. But um, yeah, I mean, there are some benchmarks I've set in my head, like career goals I want to do. I really want to show a Mew Mew campaign someday. Mm-hmm. That is like one of my big dreams. Yeah. But I do wonder, like if I hit that point, if I finally make it to a stage where I'm even considered for jobs like that, will I see that as success? Or would I be, you know, greedy and be like, oh, but think there's the better brand or bigger What do you think brand. the answer would be? I think realistically speaking, the answer is like, you probably wouldn't be satisfied. And I'm, I'm saying this from observing like big, bigger names and like the more famous people I've come across or whatever. Like yeah. um, a lot of them are very insecure and a lot of them are very unhappy. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, this is not how I want to end up. So obviously I have a lot of soul searching to do. But I think it's very interesting how like success as a metric is actually very detrimental mm-hmm. to sit artists like their psyche mm-hmm. yeah and that's that's hence the black swan example so if if if, if that's the example you brought up which part of the movie are you at right now um hopefully the part before like she starts seeing things i mean I, I'm, I'm not down for that <laughs> not interested in that part <laughs> so i'm um, going back to your your body of work i think uh i came across a picture of yours you shared recently about the I think it's Blacko. Oh yeah, that is fascinating to me. Blacko fasc- is so cool. To that is fascinating to me. Could you could you just elaborate a little bit more on that? So as you guys may or may not know, Blacko isn't real. Blacko is a is a robot. He identifies as a robot. Mm-hmm. He only exists on like you know Instagram. Yeah, and he's created by a company called Brad. Yeah, and I also worked with them to do a cover shoot with yeah. Lil Michaela, who yeah. is the more famous iteration of Sid Robots. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was it was an insane experience. I am a huge Lil Michaela fan. We were debating at the studio about how we were debating at the studio if she was real or not because because the pictures that Lil Michaela posted it was it was real. It was a bit uncanny, but that could just be the, the direction of the shoot. So for the longest time, we couldn't decide whether she she was a real person or not. You know, I think she's as real as like Rihanna or Beyonce. Uh, a virtual celebrity. No, I mean, like, what I'm trying to say is, like, celebrities in the first place, like, why why are they successful? It's because they have a really strong and good brand. Yeah. 
Like you look at something, you're like, yeah, this is something Beyonce would do. Yeah, this is something Rihanna would do. Mm. But how involved do you think they are in all these like side franchises that they have, like Savage or Fenty or like you know House of Dillion De- or whatever you call it? So in the same way, I think you know Leo Michela is exactly the same. At the at the center of it, like of like Beyonce and Rihanna, it's like does the girl in the middle actually matter beyond being the literal face? of this said brand. Mm. So I th- I see, after working with Leo Michela and Blacko, I kind of see them in the same way. It doesn't actually matter who's in the center of the brand because this is a damn good brand and people subscribe to it. There are actually a lot of virtual influencers out there right now. And most of, no, none, I mean, Leo Michela is by far the most successful. Why is that? Because she, she has good branding. Did you get to have a conversation with the people who actually created her? Do you... Yeah, they, yeah. Were, they were very involved in our shoots. And what's interesting about our shoots is that they happen exactly like how any shoot would happen. What do you mean? Like, you know, I, I lit it the way I, I would lit... Whatever you saw in the pictures mm. is what I shot. Wow. But, yeah. but there was no model, so you shoot it? Like, just, I, I just can't... A... Yeah, I signed the NDA. I can't oh, tell you how okay. it was done. <laughs> but but everything I shot was really like what you see. And that, that was so intriguing even for me. And it's new to you because you've never done anything like that before. No, and I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm so thrilled. Like, <laughs> I'm so happy to like peek behind the curtain. Do you see? Uh, do you see that as something that could potentially be more common in the future? Oh, for sure. I mean, it makes so much sense. Like, if you can have a multi-million-dollar brand without a girl who potentially will have mood swings and be a diva about it. You could just create her and yeah. have her do whatever you want. A mm. literal puppet. Yeah. Why That's a not? scary thought though. It's terrifying, but I think it's like, it's actually like a very accurate representation of the media, like f- especially celebrity mm-hmm. uh, r- industry. Yeah. Wow. On the next episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Wow. I'm curious That's to know. So um, insane. That's so insane. Do you have a personal preference between shooting celebrities or shooting uh, average people? Um, I I used I used to be really into shooting white girls, Caucasian girls. Yeah, and you know, once again, product of colonialism. Mm-hmm. I never, never, ever questioned it until I went to America, and I was like, why am I, why the why? fascination with? No, I was like, why have I spent my entire life shooting white girls when mm-hmm. I live in an Asian country? I never saw it till I went there, and like finally for the first time, I I mean, and that's why when I came back, I started shooting a lot of Singaporean faces. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I've definitely shifted from being like obsessed with like fame and success and like um, all these kind of cultures mm. into now being like yeah you know a real girl is actually infinitely more interesting. Oh, I mean not any real girl. Of, I mean you know what I mean the basically the benchmark for casting has changed. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, about that. Do you think that was something intrinsic about New York, or was it just needing to leave the country to go into? a Western country for you to have realized that, do you think? I think it was me going to a Western country for sure. And also before that, even when I traveled, I went to like Japan, right? And living in Japan is an even more exaggerated version of this said obsession with like, whiteness, you know? And even though they use models who are Japanese, which is already miles ahead of Singapore, a lot of them are mixed. You know, white people are like straight up superior, like treated yeah. as their superior. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought this was interesting. <clears throat> so as a as a kid, I used to look at my face in the mirror a lot. And I speculated, almost in a way where it was kind of like impersonal. Mm-hmm. And then I'd look at 
magazines like my sister's magazine so I'll watch TV and I'll try to identify the different facial structures between like Asian faces and like Caucasian faces and I remember I was I think I was like seven or eight and I was trying to think why do I think that this Caucasian face is better looking than this Asian face and they were both models mm-hmm. and it, I remember it, like, it plagued me for a really long time until I, I started doing art that I realized that the perception of beauty is really not objective. And in the case of like Singapore, is that because we're constantly bombarded with this concept of what beauty is, mm-hmm. that our perception of it starts to shift. Subconsciously? So yeah, probably. Like, it, 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 it's, um, it's like a... It's what you call a rationalist kind of thought. Mm-hmm. There's like empiricism and rationalism. Empiricism being that everyone's born with a with pre predetermined or predisposed like dispositions towards things, and rationalism being that we are a kind of like a blank slate and mm-hmm. we're subjects of influence, mm-hmm. nature versus nurture kind of thing. So, um, I started to realize that yeah, like you know, as people tell me different opinions of what they thought of how people looked that the media's portrayal of beauty ideals was so strong that if you look at history, like art history, and depictions of beauty like hundreds of years ago, it's, it's infinitely different. And within certain cultures in this same time period, the perception of what beauty is is also infinitely different. And, and then, you know, something as like race even just the perception of skin color. Like, no matter how much research I try to do on why fairer skins are more desired in a lot of cultures, mm-hmm. it, like, like they'll say, like, okay, like, darker-skinned individuals are, you know, have a heritage or are, you know, used to doing manual labor a lot. So in the sun, as a result, the melanin in the skin is, is yeah. more, they have more melanin and their skin is darker. But, but... You you can think that you can think it's ridiculous, but you can still be influenced by it, and no matter how much you can rationalize that it is ridiculous, it 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 is still affect you, and I think that's that's really really intense, and that's really really like really interesting. That's why I would ask like what it took for you to to realize because there there are so many things that that you would, one would need to experience that is beyond rational thought mm-hmm. to overcome something like that. What was the tipping point? No, yeah. I think a lot of it is like back to the whole comfort zone thing. I think once you're outside your comfort zone, it's a lot easier to be more rational because all your challenges are being, are being challenged. You know, like versus like when you're in Singapore and you're comfortable and this mm-hmm. is the status quo and you're used to it. And then you present this radical idea that, hey, maybe you shouldn't be so obsessed with fairer skin. You're like, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Like, you know, and you have like a million and one reasons as to why, like, it's fine. So I, I really think a lot of it is really like um, open-mindedness, which is not something that you can... Some people are naturally more dispositioned to be open-minded. Mm. But I've also found my own, myself, like, experiencing how, like, I've definitely become so much more open-minded through, through traveling. Like, for example, in New York, uh, a couple of weeks couple months back, yeah. I'm, I've, for the first time in my life, I met someone who hunts. Wildlife. 
wildlife. Yeah. Um, you know, we come from a country with no guns. Yes. We, we, no, nobody hunts here. Yeah. I mean, immediately the first thought you have is like, how can this person be so cruel? You know, mm. how can you, how can you harm animal life? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But, you know, like spending time with him that day um, and hearing him talk about it, like I found my mind being stretched. Mm. Maybe we are more cruel because we just buy animals without knowing how they were killed mm. from the supermarket. In many ways, maybe he's more compassionate because he's, he's, he's being eco-conscious. Yeah. He's eating what he hunts. Yeah. He knows exactly how he got it, where he got it. And yeah. he, he can ensure that it's killed in a humane way. He, you know, like in many ways, like I feel... I'm not vegan or vegetarian at all. Uh, but now more and more, I, I find myself like... Because I cook so much in New York. I find myself confronting my own guilt about buying prepackaged meat. Mm. Where did this meat come from? How am I contributing to the waste? The wastage? You know, anyway, so in some ways, like he's more humane than I am. Mm -hmm. Him hunting and, and killing animals that he's eaten. And I don't think I ever would have even reached a point where my mind could accept this possibility if not for leaving and being out of my comfort zone so much and traveling and so on and so forth. Mm. Interesting. Perspective. Um, just have one more question. If you could have a photo shoot or like a campaign shoot with someone from the dead, who would it be? Damn, I've never thought about this. Yeah, because uh, I saw your interviews that people ask you, like, you want to have a dream photo shoot and whatever. So I thought this would be particularly interesting. I would like to know, yeah. I think a lot of times people love to ask me, like, what my dream photo shoots are and so on and so forth. But the truth is, like, fundamentally, I am a commercial photographer. Mm. I'm very used to, like, creating something around a brief. Interesting. So, for example, if I'm going to shoot this celebrity, like, that's my starting point. How do I make this person look different from how other people have perceived him or her? What is the best way to shoot this person in a way that highlights their personality uh, uniquely? Or like, um, you know. And so when people ask me things like, what's your dream shoot? It's so hard for me to conceptualize from scratch. Mm. You know, like, because it's, it's, there's no, yeah. I think it's just how I work. Someone from the dead. Yeah, I, I genuinely have no answer to that. Interesting. That's also interesting. Yeah. Could you describe a little bit? On your obsession with cults? Oh my god, yes. yes so, please, yeah. So I think it's it's a lot to do with like growing up Catholic. Mm -hmm. And also like if you grow up in a Catholic majority or growing up in church, like you accept all those beliefs as the norm. Mm -hmm. And I I think it okay, so I think it started when I I, I discovered that I'm bi. Mm -hmm. The first time I dated a girl, like for the first time in my life, all my beliefs were challenged. Yeah. And I started questioning like, actually, you know, like is there any truth to this? Like you know, this... With your faith. Yeah, like going to a sermon every week and then like feeling like, actually, you know, what you're saying finally does not match my experience. Mm. Maybe this isn't 100% real. Mm. You know, and I think also like, there's that and then there's discovering things like Scientology. Yeah. Scientology is so intriguing. It is fascinating. It's so intriguing because it's so money-driven, first mm. of all. Like, it's so blatant in that way. It's so, it's so transparent in that way. It's inspired by science fiction. It's, it's created yes, I by a to science say that. fiction writer. <laughs> yeah. My God, like, he blatantly tells you this is, like, fiction and people still buy it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm obsessed with the whole celebrity thing about it. Scientology? Yeah, yeah, like so many celebrities are involved in Scientology and I've had so many conversations in LA yeah. with like... There's a church there. Oh, plural. <laughs> churches. Plural, churches. And I've had so many... And Scientology is such a big presence in LA. Like I've had so many conversations with like actress friends and things mm. like that about Scientology and we always joke about like we have to join the church because that is the best way 
to to sell your art. Mm. The best way to become successful is that you need the support of the Scientology Church. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I'm also very... I'm especially intrigued, especially when you have actresses like Elizabeth Moss, Who's who that? is the lead of A Handmaid's Tale, which is a tale about, you know, um, being being a critical thinker mm-hmm. beyond like programming, and she's a Scientologist, and that, and I'm just so intrigued by like how how you can, how you can internalize this very belief that. This very, very suspicious and you know, interest, intriguing alien inspired <laughs> belief. When you act, when you when you embody these other traits of like critical thinking and like being an independent thinker in your other projects, it's a compartmentalizing. Yeah, I guess so. And also, I, I and then you know, discovering that there are Christian cults. Yeah. And that's extra intriguing for me because like I I, I get it right. I come from that kind of shared background, like Mormons and stuff. Yeah. So I think like the Mormons are fascinating. Okay, I think maybe the core obsession here is about belief. Mm. It's about the suspension suspension of belief to 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 allow another belief to take place. Mm. I'm super intrigued by how that works. And I I'm also convinced it's very linked to comfort zone. And a lot of times if you read like interviews with people who are who used to be Scientologists or are Scientologists, yeah. they'll tell you things like, I know it's not real. I know the Xenu. I don't think Xenu is real. I, I think it's bullshit. Yeah. But um, you know, they have been so good to me. It makes them feel a certain way? No, no, as in like, but the church has been so good to me, but this is my community now, these are my people. You don't understand how good these people are. Uh, so, you know, it's it's also about that comfort of being in a tribe. Yeah, the us versus them mentality. Yeah, or like, just like, well, they're good to me, so what's wrong with believing that I believe in like some alien? And then what's interesting is also how like, when that happens and how a lot of, you know, a lot of cults end up in crime and a lot of cults yeah. end up in in crazy situations how people are willing to suspend their critical thinking to accommodate these people or community or tribe that they, they or belief that they have fallen in love with yeah. to the extent of it becoming illegal. Immoral. Immoral, illegal, yeah. you know, totally out of hand. Yeah. Like that, that, that progress yeah. is so, 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 so interesting <laughs> to me. Have you watched Wild Wild Country on Netflix? I was just about to yes. say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did. I, my, I, might want, I wish that that documentary was condensed into just one film. I thought it was a film until I, I, I clicked on it. I was like, oh, six parts. Oh, shit. Yeah, but I really felt like they were stretching nothing into... So- anyway. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, Wawa Country is also interesting because like... I mean, they were like, what, poisoning the whole town? I believe so. I haven't gotten to that part. Oh, right. Yeah, so they, they poisoned the water supply and like they, they even went to the extremes of like picking up homeless people from all over yes, the country. Yes, that was particularly to change, fascinating. To change like the political results yeah, or something? Yeah. yeah. The yeah. votes. Yeah. But but throughout the whole time, let, let's say for that, uh, they it felt like they were gaming the system to a certain degree because the the the, the system democracy allowed them to do that in yeah. America. It was so fascinating how they maneuvered that basically. Yeah, and it's also how like people always say like, but this is for the greater good. Yes, and that greater good is so subjective. Yes, and you can say that about anything and serve your purpose. Yes, you know? like literally anything. Yeah. I think some 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 folks will will look at that, that that particular documentary and say people are crazy, but I don't think they're crazy because they are really sound people. They are people of different occupations, and the way they organize themselves is amazing. And the way yeah. they 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 build the commune, they they got people from people who are lawyers, people who are designers, quote unquote smart people, smart critical thinking people to to take part to 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 partake in this. And the fact that they had so many communes all over the world at a certain point in time, it's it speaks to maybe. The, the belief 
the, it, the part of wanting to be some to, to be part of something bigger. It sounds like their behavior, if you ask me, their behavior is the same with infatuation. When you fall like in love quote unquote, unquote, unquote <laughs> in love with someone when you when you when you when you're so infatuated with an idea or with a person that you end up doing things or like suspending your principles, mm. right? I mean, it's also a kind of like, um, it's not just infatuation. It's also a kind of, what do you call it? Damn, I lost the word. Shit. Um, Intoxication. No, no, no. Something different from infatuation. It's also a kind of, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> when it comes back, I'll let you know. What was the word I'm looking for? No, but also on a more similar scale, you guys know this stuff happens in Singapore too, right? Yeah. No. Please enlighten me. I mean, I've heard about like witches and stuff. Witches? I, I think witches are okay. chill. I'm talking about stuff like they are like financial, more financial. Oh, no. There are a lot of like uh, financial no groups in Singapore that operate like leadership workshops. Seminars. Like okay. semin- no, no, no. Like they're like programs. Mm-hmm that actually operate almost exactly the way a Scientology does. Mm. Um, and they use a lot of like um, persuasion techniques, like group persuasion techniques. Um, and like people really get deep into it. And yeah. like that happens right here in Singapore. And what's so smart is that they don't brand themselves as a cult. Yeah. They, I mean, or like a religion thing. Yeah. They brand themselves as a business thing, as a money-making thing, as a way to better yourself, self-improvement. And I think that's so brilliant because like that bypasses all the problems in Singapore and makes it legit. Like Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> yeah. He's, I think he's coming. Yeah, he's coming yeah. next month. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. Yeah, and I think more more rational people are in these things than you realize. Yeah, because it it takes all the boxes. I would say. I think I think I read something a long time back that the the smarter you are, the actually actually the okay. The smarter you are, the easier it is to convince you of of, of these things because it's more logical. It hits a lot of the logical. Uh, uh, things you have like when, when considering these things so I found it to be pretty interesting I found the word the word is escapism I think it's more than infatu- infatuation I think it's a kind of escapism like it's a kind of escape like okay so for example if it's a, if it's a leadership workshop yeah. kind of thing you believe that if you, if you follow all these steps if you do exactly everything that they tell you your life will change that you you will become wealthy that you will become a leader that you will not be this person that you dislike mm. I think, and I think that's something that anyone can really relate to. Yes. And I've heard that even if you go for like Scientology, like you, that's why they always try and get you to get into the first like workshop or the f- first free class. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you're suggestible to those ideas and you're like, actually, they're not crazy, you know, because all of it, like all these so-called cults, they kind of package more or less the same like mm. workshop, the same like content. Yes. Into just different forms. So it's all things that we're, we're all sus- like susceptible to. And I, I don't think any of us are like too smart to be to be inducted into a cult of some form. I agree because you wouldn't even perceive it as a cult, I would say. Even though you know it and there's flashing lights that it's a cult, I think I guess innately we we stand to be persuaded. Yeah. Yeah. We want to believe. We want to believe. Okay, two 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 so I think we're almost out of time. To to wrap things up, is there anything you want to plug, Lynn? No. Uh, anything upcoming? Do you want to plug? <laughs> Damn. Uh, Do you want to plug your socials? What, I'm gonna. What? I'm gonna write. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try my best to finish a single so I can drop it uh, for you guys. Okay. Oh. <laughs> jokes, jokes. I don't. I, I don't sing or rap. What? Okay. What? How? How can people find your work? 
You can find me on Instagram at L-E-N-N-E-I-G-H, Lenny. You can find me on my website, which is simply L-E-N-N-E.photography. There is no .com. There's nothing else after that. You can find me in New York and Pongo, depending (laughs) on the time of the year. (laughs) All right. Um, And that's a wrap. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. Don't forget to keep posted for the next one. And if you really liked what you got, give us a follow.